And I'm Kim. And we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moira. Ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. I can't wait to debunk this episode. <laughs> You're going to full on like Kim Scully this? I'm going to ruin your hopes and dreams, everyone. Your little I'm... goth hearts from high school are going to be so sad. Is it is it wrong that that brings me joy? No, because it brings me much joy. Like I can't, I, we haven't even announced what this topic is, but I will tell you that I will just give you a heads up that there is torture involved and... Um, I read a book for it and it was up till three in the morning because I got to the good part at three Yo, in the morning. She reading. read a book. <laughs> I she read a book. read a book. But I was up till three because I was like, oh, it's the juicy part. And it was all about torture. And like anyone of the quote unquote normal vicinity or realm would be like, oh my God, I'm going to get nightmares. But I'm like, oh, it's juicy. It's good. I got to keep reading until it's sun sunny outside because this is so good. So the journey that we're going to talk about today is not from the United States. It is not from North America. We are going to venture all the way over to Eastern Europe. <gasps> That's Vlad country. Vlad country. What year was Vlad again? Our friend Vlad, hashtag everyone's named Vlad, mm. uh, he was from the, the 1400s, born somewhere 1428, 1431, that was in dispute, but yeah. Uh, 1400s. 1400s. All right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not too far after our friend Vlad, Vlad, everyone named Vlad, 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 Vlad. We have a character who is well known in the goth girl world as Elizabeth <laughs> Bathory. <gasps> oh, I know her. From Hungary. At the time, Ooh. she was in Hungary. But I will tell you this. She actually went by Erzibet mm -hmm. Bathory. So I'm going to call her Erzibet for the purpose of trying to pronounce names correctly for this episode. <laughs> so just fair warning, couple wardings here. I'm going to mispronounce a lot of words. Don't judge me. Second warning. Trigger warning for torture descriptions. <laughs> There's lots of those. <laughs> um, that's about it for the warnings. It's a little bloody from here, here and there. But, uh, you know, if you don't like torture or blood or murder, why are you listening to this podcast? So fair point. Anywho. So at first, no one really seemed to notice anything weird in Elizabeth's house. You know, she was a wealthy woman. A girl would go missing here or there, but nobody would bat an eye. And then a young servant girl suddenly died in the middle of the night. Oh. She was actually placed into a casket, and the casket was sealed, which Ooh. was weird. That's not a good way to go. No. <laughs> That's not how I want to go. And she was uh, retrieved by a local pastor and he noticed that this casket was sealed. Normally, just so you know, a pastor would come to what, whoever's house that somebody died, and whoever had died would usually be in a bed. And then he would help hmm. put them in a casket and carry them off and handle their business that what they would have to do. So to find a casket fully sealed uh -huh. was weird. That was not normal. But Countess Elizabeth Bathory uh -huh. assured him it was cholera. Oh. 
the reason she sealed it, she didn't want to scare anybody, didn't want to create a panic in town or alarm any of the servants that someone in her house was sick. So, I huh. mean, understandable. I get it. Like, if you think someone's sick, you don't want that those germs being spread around. Okay. Sure, sure. But the other servants somehow were exceptionally quiet around the countess. They hmm. would lower their heads. They quickly scattered from her. And when she left, they would whisper among themselves. Something wasn't quite right. Hmm. This brings us to the legend of Elizabeth Bathory, known as, quote, the infamous lady or the blood countess. She tortured her young servant girls, ultimately killing hundreds of them and bathing in and drinking their blood to renew oh, her youth. Oh, jeez. Allegedly killing over 600 of her servants, she was entered into the Guinness Book of World Records as the most prolific female murderess. I will just tell you, um, leaning heavily on legend here, guys. Uh, legend. Did I say legend? I said legend. That's a legend. legend. That's a legend. So we all know there's the ultimate question. Is it true? Did she actually kill all those people? Mm-hmm. Or was she vilified, as women typically are in history? Mm-hmm. We've talked about this many a time in the past mm-hmm. episodes. So let's get into it, shall we? All right. Let's, we shall. We shall. I'm looking forward to this gonna be a good time i will tell you i did not sleep much in the last week during this research because i was so excited doing it um (laughs) so this book i was telling you about earlier that i read that i was up until like all hours of the night reading those juicy parts right this book is called infamous lady the true story of countess Elizabeth bathory and it's the second edition by kimberly l craft so that's Mm, an early creepy critics corner uh (laughs) and i will tell you what was really exciting about reading this book was that, I mean, you can find tons of books on Elizabeth Bathory, but most of them are fiction. Most of them yeah. are not nonfiction. Um, so it's a like a fun read, right? Not necessarily right. like a historical read. Um, and I'm not going to lie. I was bored out of my wits for like the first half of this book because it was just straight up Hungarian history. Um, so <laughs> I will tell you right now, I'm going to give you like a Cliff's Notes version of some of it. So that way, at least, you know, like context. Okay. But if you would like a history on Hungary, go read this book because I'm not going to tell you all of it because that's what this podcast is not is a history book. Um, sometimes Fair. from time to time, we give you a little bit of that historical reference. Um, but today... I'm going to let you do that on your own. So this book actually references written documents, Uh trial transcripts, and letters from all of the people involved. So there's actual evidence evidence, Evidence. evidence, evidence. that we're going to talk about, which is really exciting because this dates back to the late 1500s, which is really far back to have this amount of documentation, which is really cool. So this is a quote from the book. Rather than indulge in legends, we will explore Uh what she actually said and what was said about her by the people of her own time, her accomplices, certainly, but also the testimony of her servants and other eyewitnesses, estate managers, stewards, 
castle administrators, accountants, kitchen staff, huntsmen, clergy, doctors, nobles, and townspeople. 306 people who were called to testify against her. That's insane. This book has all of it. Like, it was... I need to read this book. You need to read this book, Kim. Um, So this book is... It was great, honestly. Um, Super fantastic. The last quarter of the book is all references. (laughs) So just to give you an idea of how many references there are, there's quite a bit of them. But... Fun fact, I didn't know this. Uh, her name was actually banned from polite Hungarian society for centuries. No one could even talk about her. I've heard that. Yeah. And apparently due to fragmented manuscripts and letters that were recently exhumed, now we have a better idea of what actually happened. So yeah. let's talk about the history of Bathory. It actually means, quote, good hero. <laughs> Lol. Wow. Also, Bator means brave, which both, that's, it's comical a, to me. Knowing a brave, what good we know. hero. Yeah. I mean, it, it sort of feels like if we named, like, I don't know, Gacy that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, it's, it's along the same lines. You're not wrong. Um, but Elizabeth was uh, born to Georgie and Anna Bathory on August 7th. 1560 in Nagyesed, Hungary. Gesundheit. Thank you. Um, her parents came from two separate branches of the Bathory family. So hello, incest. Ooh. Cousins, um, loving cousins. Loving cousins, quite literally. They both came from strong clans merging in power for their marriage. And they actually happened to be one of Europe's most illustrious families. She had a few siblings. Her older brother, Istvan, was born in 1555. Gabor and two younger sisters. Like Zsa Like Zsa But she also had two younger sisters named Zofia and Clara. Hmm. So little, little, nice little family. Yeah. Give you a little bit of background. Hungarian history. So, snapshot. Hungary was divided into three sections. You had the southeastern Hungary controlled by the Turks... Western Hungary, controlled by the Habsburgs. And Transylvania was kind of uh, Switzerland, for lack of a better term. Um, they were flexing <laughs> but, between, but not, but not literal Switzerland, Switzerland no. <laughs> <laughs> they just kind of like jumped back and forth of like, who were they going to be a fan of today? Was it going to be the Turks or the Habsburgs? We don't know. They kind of went back and forth a few times. It depends on the point in time that you're talking about. Right. So at this time, most of Europe was mid-Protestant Reformation, and Elizabeth was raised Calvinist by her mother. She was familiar with both Catholicism and Lutheranism, Hmm. but was also educated in Calvinism, which was actually Mm -hmm. very typical of nobility. So her childhood up until her first few years of marriage were relatively quiet from like a a historical reference perspective, but at the Mm -hmm. same time... This was during the early modern, a.k.a. Renaissance era, Mm, and it was exploding throughout Europe. So at the same time that she was alive, you would see the worlds of like Galileo, Queen Elizabeth, Da Vinci, Mm -hmm. Luther, and Michelangelo. So she was exposed to all of these really incredible people growing up. So let's talk about her upbringing. Commentators allegedly speculate that Elizabeth suffered from insanity and exhibited sexual sadism later in life as a result of her formative years at the Bathory family estate. Hmm. 
we do not have evidence of this, but we do have some uh, explanations of what her family looked like. So we're going to talk about that. Oh. So some describe her home as a, quote, insane asylum filled with dysfunctional inbred lunatics, end quote. Oh, just like my family. I mean, we've all got them. Um, <laughs> they actually claimed that her brother, Istvan, was uh-huh. a sadistic, lecherous sex fiend. And a drunkard mm. who could be found running naked in the marketplace after a binge. I mean, it sounds like a good time. Sure. Her uncle, <laughs> Gabor, dressed in armor and fought off invisible attackers while shouting Ooh. in unknown languages and foaming at the mouth. Uh, okay. okay. Alcohol does weird things, friends. Uh, <laughs> it's, listen, I, I, I drink a lot of whiskey. I have yet to do that while I've been drinking my whiskey, but, you know. We will report back when that does happen. Um, God help us all. (laughs) So her Aunt Clara uh, was a bisexual who apparently practiced witchcraft. Nice. Okay, Aunt Clara sounds awesome. Wait, it gets better. Apparently she killed her husbands and taught Erzabit how to torture servants and how to make love to women. Okay, take the torture servants out and I still think she sounds like a good time. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Now, these are all... Legend. This is the allegedly section, in case you're wondering. Uh, Also, her father refused to leave his favorite chair. I'm sorry, that doesn't sound like a legend. That sounds like a dad. That sounds like any regular dad. That sounds like Thanksgiving. Yeah, that sounds like you have... We all know this makes me think of Frasier and the dad in Frasier who will never get rid of his ugly chair. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I thought of. I thought of him as Elizabeth's dad, and that's a thing. Um, so... That's not totally uh, unrealistic. Yeah, that's not necessarily a sign that... No. (laughs) That just means you're particular. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Fair. So as a child, she apparently... This is great. I I had to tell this one to Kim before we recorded because I thought it was so fun. Um, Elizabeth apparently witnessed a bizarre execution of a peasant when she was growing up who was sewn alive into the body of a horse... And her reaction was that she allegedly giggled at the spectacle of it and was unfazed. That's that's not a great sign. That's that's when you have a little intervention. That makes me think of all the serial killers that like do messed up things to like animals and think it's fun. Like that's what that makes me I mean, think of. Yeah, that that's a that is a warning sign. A, a child that that is torturing and mutilating and killing small animals. That's definitely one of our big red flags for, for possible yeah for possible uh issues <laughs> but i mean if you have this family that i just described and you just see a little girl giggling you're probably not going to think anything of it so <sighs> yeah and i mean it's also again it's the late 1500s so we Context. we 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 had we have different standards now <laughs> true very true <laughs> quite a bit of different standards we'll get into that in a bit um and this is a quote we know for a fact that this family rose to power and prestige both at court and on the battlefield, not merely by means of patronage or luck, but because of superior intelligence, cunning, and courage, which leads me to the fact that most of those things were probably not true. So Istvan never had any children. He was only five years older than Elizabeth, so his drinking would have had little impact on her because he's only five years older than her. So by the time Jeez. he was a, an adult drinking and running around, she would have been out of the house, so she wouldn't even mm. be around him. Um, so Because she was gone by the, by the time... She was seven. He had moved out. So, like, they weren't even around each other when this was happening, so it wouldn't have Mm. any impact on her. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Elizabeth also didn't have an uncle named Gabor, but had a cousin on her mom's side who was named Gabor and a sibling as well. Um, but the uncle, or everybody's sorry, named Gabor. Everyone's named Gabor. Um, but the cousin died in 1586. So truly, that has nothing to do with her at that point. Right. Yeah. Her aunt Clara, your favorite person, was in her 50s by the time that Elizabeth was 10 and mm-hmm. didn't really have a ton of time to teach her about torture or witchcraft mm. or lesbianism okay. because mm. at this point in time, people were only living till like age 50 or 60. So she was like about to just, you know, keel over. And it's not exactly on her top list of priorities to teach a 10-year-old all these things. Fair. Right. Um, but to be fair, mental illness may have still run in the family due to the inbreeding, as it does. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that would result in temper tantrums, swordplay in the house. That's just having fun. Or <laughs> uh, unusual allegiance to a particular chair. I mean, I don't think that's mental health. I think that's just preference. Uh, those apparently were considered, quote unquote, aristocratic eccentricities. Sure. Or just those eccentric aristocrats. Hey man. Aristocats? Aristocrats. Aristocats. Aristocats. I would watch I would watch those eccentric Aristocats too. That'd Hell be a great yeah. Disney movie. It's Disney imagine? after dark. <laughs> a cat on a favorite chair, an Aristocat. <gasps> oh, that's a great idea. Everybody, everybody, everybody wants to be a cat. No? Aristocat. Yeah. It's a great movie. I haven't seen it in so many years, but now I need to watch it. I know. It's amazing. It's a good one. So apparently Elizabeth also suffered from seizures and fits of rage as a child. I mean, that just sounds like, minus the seizures, it sounds like (laughs) a regular child. Yeah. It's called Um, being a toddler. Yes. (laughs) And Elizabeth was educated at the most elevated potential possible. Her father believed progressively for the time that a girl should be educated just as a boy should. Hell yeah. Darn tootin'. Hell yeah, Georgie. All right. So at this time, few aristocrats, not cats, regardless of being male or female, could read or write. So she was trained in the classics, mathematics. She could read and write in Hungarian, Greek, Latin, German, and Slavic, which is like Mm. insane. She also had an interest in religion and occultism, A, and in astronomy, botany, biology, and anatomy. Clearly, she really liked her anatomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She wrote fluently, and this was actually very easily proven by letters that she wrote that we still have, which is really hmm. cool. Her penmanship, tone, and education were indicative of her controlled and disciplined upbringing. So that kind of tells us that that chaotic household probably wasn't a thing. Um, but yeah. We'll talk a little bit more about this later, but some have analyzed her writing and said it Mm -hmm. to be indicative of being a sociopath, but stay tuned for that. We'll come back to that later. All right. Young Elizabeth demanded to be treated as well as her male relatives, which I love. Hell yeah. She actually enjoyed dressing in boys' clothes. She fenced and rode horses with the boys. Why not? However, at this time, servants were normally dealt with harshly, and she likely witnessed quite a bit of some gnarly public executions as she grew up. For example, in 1514, the leader of a revolt was executed. (laughs) Trigger warning, this is going to be gross. 
by being roasted alive after having a red hot metal crown placed Ooh. on his head. Ooh. And his accomplices were fed his cooked flesh before being broken on the wheel and hanged. Didn't that happen in the Game of Thrones episode? Probably. Um, it would <laughs> sounds not like a Game me. of Thrones episode. That's like, doesn't this sound like Game of Thrones? I was actually thinking that quite a bit throughout a lot of this research. Which brings us to uh, Elizabeth being paired with her future husband, Ferenc. Mm. And I keep calling Terence Ferenc because it's fun. Um, in 1571, 11-year-old Elizabeth was engaged to then 16-year-old Ferenc Nadasti, uh-huh. de at Fulgarasfold. Sure. That's a mouthful. <laughs> We're going to call him Ferenc from now on. Uh, but this basically was a business deal between their families as clans united politically and economically. It wasn't about love when they were 11, you know? Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, both of Elizabeth's parents had died before their wedding. So she went to go mm. live with the Nadasti family at their palace at Sarvar before their marriage in 1572. And this is where she likely learned a lot of her intellectual passions. So on May 8th, 1575, Elizabeth is 14. Ference is 19. They get married at Verano Castle in Vranov, which is now Slovakia. Uh-huh. Guess how many people they had at their wedding? Uh, 2,000. 4,500 people were invited, Ooh. including the Holy Roman Emperor Maximilian II. And Ference's wedding gift to Elizabeth was Castle Shaitith which is really hard to pronounce, so I'm going to mispronounce that multiple times. It's spelled C-S-E-J-T-H-E, Shaitith. And he also gave her 17 accompanying villages because villages can be given to people, apparently. Um, Fun fact, I actually really thought this was cool um, because I am in the process of being engaged and getting married this year, and we've been talking about names of what to do with our last names, and we don't know what to do. So Elizabeth actually chose to retain her maiden name because hers was older and more prestigious. And Ference actually took her last name and added it to his. So he became Ference Bathory Nadasti. But of course, people still referred to her as Lady Nadasti. But I think that's so cool that like... Lady Nasty. Lady Nasty. Nadasti. Oh, it sounds like Lady Nasty, though, and that would be a fantastic... I want that to be on my tombstone. Noted. Lady Nasty. Lady Nasty. Mm-hmm. So collectively, they own thousands of acres of land, dozens of towns, more than 20 castles in current Hungary, Slovakia, Austria, Romania, and the Czech Republic. Quite a bit. <laughs> they were very wealthy. And publicly, Elizabeth was known... As a pretty decent person, she was considered a good mother, a good wife. She attended public functions, gave money to the poor, publicly practiced religion. She even intervened on behalf of desperate or destitute women based on letters that were written that she wrote, which is kind of crazy. Like, she really helped people, Mm -hmm. which is so opposite of what we know about her. Mm -hmm. Now, three years into the marriage, Ferenc gets called to war. He is super into war like that's his main thing in life he loves being in wars he actually was deeply involved in the war against the ottoman turks for his entire life oh, he wow. earned the role of captain of the hungarian army and he earned titles like high stable master 
the Black Bay. Hey. Hey. But the main one was the Black Knight of Hungary. That is so metal. <laughs> I love it. That is super metal. <laughs> so while Ferenc was away, Erzabet was the head of the house. She handled everything. And commentators suggest that in Ferenc's absence... Her bisexual Aunt Clara, your favorite friend, uh-huh. would come visit and teach her all that horrible witchcraft, torture, and sexual techniques for women. But at this point, she would have been, like, deep into her 60s, so highly unlikely. Eh, that probably, probably not. did not happen. And honestly, a lot of women accused of witchcraft during this time were actually just practitioners of folk art and herbal medicine. And they it's were my referred to, face right? That, that the church maybe persecuted people unfairly. Exactly. Um, but these women were usually referred to as forest witches. Nice. I wanna, oh, no, I lied. I want that on my tombstone. Lady Nasty. Colon, forest witch. Forest witch. Yes. King Delphit. Uh, it's happening. She lived as she died. Forest witch. Into forest the ground, witch. into the forest she goes. And all was nasty. Yes. Anyway, forest witches were really popular amongst nobility, apparently. And uh, ironically, herbalism and folk medicine were normalized during this time. So this was actually before a lot of the European witch hunts actually happened. So it was before Mm. all that. Uh By her 20s, Elizabeth's lifestyle was pretty typical of someone in her position. She took like two to three hours to get ready on a regular day, six Uh hours to get ready for parties. I mean, I get it. She handled the business of the house when Ferenc was away, but also made time for the leisurely horseback ride, picnic, and concerts in Vienna. So sure. So she's living the life. By her late 20s, she not only ran a tight ship, but actually involved herself with sensitive diplomatic and financial issues. She was mm-hmm. very educated, knew what she was talking about, and really wanted to make a difference. So now 10 years after their wedding, it's 1585, they have a daughter. Her name's Anna. She's born, and it's the reason why it took 10 years to have a baby is because Ferenc was away fighting in wars this whole time. And actually, Mm. apparently she may have had fertility issues, and that's actually really common amongst Hungarian nobles. Some say it's because of the incest, but who knows. By 1596, Elizabeth had three kids. We had Anna, Orsolia, and Catalin. And at the time, she was also pregnant with her son, Andras. Hmm. She then had another son named Paul. He was born in 1597 or 1598. We don't have an exact year. And unfortunately, Andras passed in 1603 at age seven, and Orsolia passed uh, by 1610. So Anna, Kata, and Paul were the only ones left living who lived into adulthood. And Paul was ultimately Elizabeth's beneficiary. So she spent her whole life preserving her assets specifically for her children and everything she did was for them and put everything of hers into her will for them in 1610, which we'll talk about later. Her main home was Siste Castle. I just can't pronounce it. It's fine. You know what I'm talking about. Located in what is now Western Slovakia. And this was actually the main site of the Countess's gruesome murders and ultimately her final prison, which leads us to the strange happenings that start to begin who were the culprits behind this so servants start leaving the castle a little less lively than they had arrived more specifically in those sealed coffins we talked about in the beginning so rumors had gone around that three girls were stuffed into one sealed coffin oh jeez with the excuse that the Countess didn't want to spread the quote-unquote cholera to others. Sure. 
Now, the death of a few servants here or there due to disease or poor hygiene, it wasn't super unheard of at the time. So a lot of people on the outside just dismissed it. They didn't think anything of it. But then numbers quickly multiplied. Rumors started to swirl about torture and bizarre behavior. Mm. This is a quote. What began as an isolated incident slowly turned into an ever-increasing stream of dead bodies that began to follow Countess Bathory wherever she went, end quote. Staff were not allowed to enter certain rooms. There were secret rooms within rooms, and one of the guards had heard rumors from servants that girls were being tortured in these rooms within rooms. The countess was meticulous with covering her tracks, though. No one ever caught her in the act. Everything was cleaned up. No evidence, evidence, evidence was left to show that any kind of torture had occurred. But eventually, some people caught on. And elevated members of the Sarvar Castle's management, including a senior professor, approached a distinguished pastor of the Lutheran clergy named Magyari. And it was about the, quote, disturbing events taking place at Sarvar. Hmm. He stated that, quote, if she does not stop, then you must announce her deeds from the pulpit because it offends the Lord God and he will not tolerate it, end quote. Sure. So he did. He said something. He publicly confronted her and requested the exhumation of the recently buried girls. Jeez. To see, like, what happened. But were there actually multiple people in a casket? Like, what did they look like? And Erzbet now is pissed. She's like, no, nobody digs up my bitches. Like, she requested that Ferenc come home from war and handle this uh-huh. uh, and punish him for his insults and behavior. But because they have money and they're important people... Hmm. Where have I heard this story before? Right? Ferenc bankrolled the Hungarian crown and the Habsburg Empire, and no one dared touch him or his wife. The rumors were fine. They didn't really think much of anything. No one did anything about it. So basically, it was a slap on the wrist, and everyone turned their heads. So literally nothing happened at this point. You know something's up. There's literally people questioning things. You have people talking, but no one's doing anything about it. Right. But apparently, Elizabeth wasn't the only one torturing people. Enter Anna Darvolia. Ooh. That's a good name. That's a great name. That's not, I mean, that it's a powerful name. She was a powerful woman. She was also accused of, quote, assisting Erzbeth Bathory in inhuman atrocities. Mm. She was a Croatian woman. She lived... <gasps> Yay! Hell yeah, Croatians. Yeah, Croatia. Woo woo. It's your peeps. My peeps. She lived in Sarvar, serving mm. to the Countess between 1601 and 1609. But based on witness testimony and letters, she actually served the Nadasti family for a really long time before that. So she Uh was around for a while. She was described as, quote, a wild beast in female form. I take everything back. That's what I want on my tombstone. (laughs) Booyah. Oh, my God. So good. That that may have just gotten really loud in my mic. Booyah. Booyah. It's like a quiet booyah. 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 Yes, yes. <laughs> she allegedly taught Elizabeth everything that she knew about torture. And her personal favorite, she had a personal favorite form of torture. Her personal well, favorite was um, just beating someone up to 500 times until they died. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not funny. 
It's not, but also like, could you get more creative? Why was that your favorite? I was gonna say um, I'm a little, I'm a little underwhelmed by that. Right. I just... Don't worry. I will whelm you overly. Okay. Okay. In the upcoming I'm, I'm waiting minutes. to be whelmed. I will. Can you be? You can be overwhelmed and you can be underwhelmed, but can you just be whelmed? I had to. Totally. Anyhow, our friend. Our friend. Anna Darvolia routinely attended religious services with the Countess, even though everyone there had heard of their ongoings. They still went to church. And the priests refused to denounce them because, hey, at least they were serving God. They were still there, so they had good intentions, right? So. Sure. Yeah. Apparently... They strangled servants in the, quote, Turkish style of execution, thanks to what she learned from Ferenc. Wait, what? Ferenc also tortured people? Allegedly, Ferenc also tortured the girls with Elizabeth and with her friend Anna. And he actually taught them torture techniques that were discovered on the battlefield. Here's a favorite quote of mine. This is just for you, Kim. Quote, it was said that he danced with the dead bodies of his enemies and either threw their severed heads into the air or played catch and kickball with them. End quote. Oh, I've totally done that. It's great. It's a good time. You know, it's, it's good round. Time. It works. It's round. You know, you get a little exercise. Uh, it's a win-win-win. Get that blood flowing. Exactly. His gifts to his wife weren't exactly what we would necessarily normally call romantic, depending on your perspective. Um, he once bought Elizabeth a device that resembled a hand of sharp claws that could be fitted over the fingers to cut, slash, and stab a victim. A Freddy Krueger hand! Hashtag romance. <gasps> Hashtag romance. That's so sweet. And he constantly made servant girls just stand nude in front of him because why not? Okay, um, well, that's gross. That's, no, that, that's a step too far. <laughs> that's too far. That's he okay. went too that's, far. We that's don't not like okay. that. Nope. It's like, it's having a razor glove is one thing. That, no, that's, that's. That's bad. That's, that's bad gross, dude. Everything that's gross. is bad. Let's be real. Everything is terrible no, about bad. this episode. Um, it, it is. It is. We're just joking liked. because this is what we do. Uh, but that's also it's do. terrible. Now this gets worse. You wanted details? Here you go. He once covered a servant girl in honey and made her stand in the summer oh. sun until she was attacked by swarms of insects. Oh, no, 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 not okay. Not no, thank okay. You. He also taught Elizabeth how to treat servant girls who passed out under such treatment. What? You're going to pass out? It's so bad that you're going to pass out? Now I need to torture you more. So what did he do? Apparently, he also did this if people were just lazy. He taught Elizabeth to put pieces of oiled paper between the girl's toes and then light the paper on fire. Oh, nope. 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 Not okay. Not okay. You know, he had his limits, though. He could torture as much as he wanted. He could kill people in, in war. But apparently murder in his home of these women went too far. He was cool with the sure. torture as long as the girls lived. But when Elizabeth started killing the girls, is a no-go for him. That was the step too that far. That was oh, the step hey, too hey, far for him. We're just torturers. We're not killers. Exactly. I'm only a killer when it's in battle. But at home, sure. not so much. Sure, dude. So, of course, Elizabeth's like, I got to respect my man. So she calmed down for a bit and didn't kill as many girls until after 1604. You may ask, mm. what happened in 1604? <gasps> Um, Gabby, what happened in 1604? 
Kim, Ference died. <laughs> and he Ooh. could no longer judge her for killing so many girls. So he actually well. became, <laughs> yeah, he became gravely ill in 1603 after fighting the Turks with his close friend and war partner, Georgie Thurzo. So remember that name, Georgie Thurzo. We're going to talk about him in a bit. Uh-huh. Upon his deathbed, Ference actually entrusted his heirs and widow to Thurzo's protection, and he agreed. Uh. It's his bud. He's going to be like, you know, I'm dying. Please take care of my friends and family. Totes. Take care of my money. Make sure nothing crazy happens, even though he's very well aware of all the wild shit that's going on behind closed doors. Right. So 1604, Ference dies. At the time, it was customary for a wife to mourn her husband for a year. Elizabeth. A month later, she goes out to do business in Vienna. She's not even mourning him. I get it. you know, guess what else she's doing after his death? Torturing? She is torturing. She picked up that bad murder habit again. (laughs) (laughs) Now, in addition to Anna Darvolia, your favorite person besides Uh her aunt, there were four other servants that helped Elizabeth in her torturous quest. There were three older women... And a young man who ultimately became her chief torturers and hashtag execution squad. So uh, (laughs) we're going to call that like her execution gang, execution squad. So when you hear me say the execution gang, uh, you know it's those four people. So the first person is Fisco Ujavri, who was just a young kid when he was brought to the countess's service by force. Allegedly, he was disfigured. There's not any evidence about that, but it's written a bunch of times. Uh, Literally... Did anything that the countess desired. Whatever she wanted, he did. So she actually gave him quite a bit of leeway, and he just kind of roamed around and did whatever he wanted. Not the best idea when he would just kind of, like, run into town and brag to the townsfolk about all the people he killed and buried. Mm, Mm -hmm. Terrible idea, but he still just wasn't the brightest crayon in the box and still did that. So that's Fisco. Then you have Alana Joe Nagy which was the Nadasti's children's wet nurse. And she mm-hmm. was also a widow. Allegedly, she was the cruelest of the accomplices. Oof. There was Dortoya Sentis, who was also known as Dorka. She was a friend Dorka. of... Dorka, yeah, that's a good name. <laughs> she was a friend of Alana Joe's, and that's uh-huh. how she got in. And then there was Catalin Beneski. She was a washerwoman. Now, those were the people that were her servants, that also tortured people with her. Let's talk about the victims. We don't talk enough about the victims. Who were they? They were... Who were these people? Unfortunately, almost always an unmarried adolescent girl around the age of between like 10 to 14. They were really young. Uh. And so something I like to think about when I I think about these victims is how a 10 to 14-year-old girl would act. Like, in general. Like, it doesn't have to be in now times. It could be, like, uh-huh. any time. Like, that is puberty. That is, like, teen angst. That is complaining about everything. Like, it, just think about, like, what girls of that age range would do. They probably wouldn't do what they're told, generally. No, no. Um, I mean, that's that's which is age-appropriate. Like. Right. So it's interesting that she chose people of this age range. And generally, they were all considered pure and virginal. Right. Due to war, there was an overwhelming amount of young girls and women compared to amount of men available because so many men were out there fighting and dying. So one might wonder if the countess's intention was doing a service to her lands by controlling the population. Uh, I disagree with that personally, but someone wrote it, so I had to say it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, sadly, it's likely that Ference actually abused Elizabeth. Uh, behind closed doors. At the time, husbands were freely allowed to torture their wives into submission. That was a normal thing to do. It's not okay, but at the time, this was a normal thing. There is conflicting documentation, though, that they were in love and that he adored her. So it's interesting because, like, there's two sides of the sword here that you can see, like, was it super violent or did Uh they actually love each other? We don't really know. That's kind of up in the air. Uh-huh. But Ference was also probably traumatized from all of the battles and war that he was exposed to. And it probably had really severe PTSD for like his whole life. Right. It was documented that he drank heavily when he was at home and he took out his aggression on his family and his servants, which uh. is not a surprising thing to hear about. So right. Ference takes it out on Elizabeth. Elizabeth takes it out on her servants. Unfortunately, these young girls were the ones that were getting the brunt of it. So let's talk about how the torture started. Uh-huh. Anna Darvolia was training all of the accomplices. She taught everyone how to torture. Oof. It started slowly and progressively. Trigger warning for torture here. Trigger uh-huh. warning. Uh, uh-huh. With pinching, biting, kicking, small amount of times at first, but then it would start to increase in intensity and amount. Uh-huh. Then it got worse. Then it graduated to sticking with pins and needles into lips and underneath nails. Jeez. Especially if punishing someone for sewing something improperly, she would actually have needles stuck under their nails and their fingers smashed, and then they would be asked to sew the garment after doing that. Her punishments were, like, seriously related to whatever the quote-unquote crime was. So, I mean, again, you're asking 10 to 14 year olds to like sew a perfect garment or do something. And if they give you a hard time, you're going to punish them. And the punishment is the torture. And the torture ends up being somewhat relative to whatever that that punishment was. And so another example is that lips were pierced on two sides with a needle, basically closing a girl's mouth shut with just enough room for the tongue to stick out. And when the tongue would stick out, it was pierced with a needle. Uh, now, Elizabeth later inflicted burns on her victims and cut them with knives. If a servant was accused of stealing, Elizabeth would heat a coin red hot and press uh, it into their hand. Uh, it gets worse. Other times she would put a red hot iron inside their private nope. parts. Nope. 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 Thank you. Now, here's where it gets like psychologically fucked. I mean, all of this is psychologically fucked. Let's I was going to say, um, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and what's it been until now? <laughs> this is what I, what I was saying. This is the juicy part. Like, this is what I was getting to. When a young girl was traveling with her, complained uh-huh. about being thirsty and needing to relieve herself, she made the girl stand in a frigid river and have icy water splashed on her Jeez. until she died of exposure. Oh, what a... What a wonderful uh, time. Yeah. Um, yeah. She also would withhold water from her servants. Uh-huh. And once they became so thirsty, the way that she allowed them to have, quote unquote, air quote, water was by making them drink their own urine. So she did that, too. It was literally torture, like the most severe and creative ways of torture. And this is much more creative than those 500 slaps, you know, Um, but it just was awful. And one exception to her MO of her victims was an older married woman 
who actually refused to follow orders. And originally, she was hired to join the girls because they ran out of girls for a period of time. And this one lady had been serving her in another realm. So she was like, just come in, just pretend to be like a young girl. So she dressed like a young girl, acted like a young girl. She did it for a while, but then she was like, you know what? I have a child. (laughs) I can't pretend to be a child. This is weird. And so the way the countess punished her was that she brought her a small log, commanded her to put it in diapers and carry it around the castle saying, quote, suckle your child, you whore. Don't let it cry, end quote. Wow. While violently shoving the wood to her breast, and she later was tortured in a variety of ways until she died. That's awful. That's, uh. All of it. that's, That's difficult to listen to. I'm sorry. I know it's tough. Hence the trigger warning. But... While all of this was happening behind closed doors, she was fine doing all these things because outside of closed doors in the public, she was a complete paradox. She, like I said earlier, was wonderful to the town. Um, She provided scholarships, supported the clergy, made loans to the needy, paid all of her bills on time, attended high society events. But after Ference's death, her income was not as steady anymore. She was making a lot of money mm. from what he was doing, and suddenly right. her money began to dry up. Mm-hmm. This is when you start to see a turn in her mental state. Mm. She starts to deteriorate a little bit and becomes more vulnerable, especially at this point. She's like in her mid-40s, and people rarely mm. live to be past 50, like I mentioned before. Right. And a year after her husband's death, her brother Istvan dies, which really affects her. Simultaneously, there's still a war going on. And that's causing her huge amounts of stress. So sure. you see lots of different things that are happening that are contributing to her internal stress. And she actually ended up going back home for her brother's funeral and she snapped. She viciously attacked several handmaids in her carriage, one who later died the same day and was buried mm. on the road. And when that girl's family came to ask how she died, Elizabeth claimed that it was from cholera again, and like nobody questioned anything, which was, mm-hmm. they didn't really know what to do at that point. Sure. So the servants in her household at Sarvar would later testify that within a few years of Ference's death, Elizabeth's death toll had risen to nearly 200 victims. Quote, only God knows an account of all of her crimes, end quote, was what a former mm. servant had said. It's very clear that her way of handling her stress behind closed doors was increasingly bizarre and unorthodox. Very unorthodox. Uh. Less than three years before her arrest, Elizabeth was making significant public appearances still, but they were ultimately even more taxing on her psychologically and re- would result in more torture. Accounts of her torturing and murdering are frequently linked to times she socialized in public or had high society visitors. The more uncomfortable to visit the worse it was for her victims. So talks of Elizabeth being involved with witchcraft started to come to the surface also at this point in time. We talked about how she really loved the occult. She often sought services from her forest witch friends. And uh, she was rumored to have attempted to poison the king, actually, in his visit to her home with a gray cake, um, which did not bode well for her in the future. She actually began running out of room to bury bodies, too, and started burying them in secret at night in gardens, drainage ditches, grain and coal bins, and fruit pits. So instead of just accusing her of being a murderer... People went straight to witch because of this. Because, I mean, what's worse? You know, uh, 
Depends on the time, I guess. I was going to say, it's kind of sad that it's worse that she's a witch. Like, really, guys? Really? That's what we're going to fixate on? Just the fact that nobody did anything about it is wild to me. But, but I mean, I also feel like, look at who her victims are. And that's that's why. Like, if, if, if her victims had been, you know, nobility... Yeah, people would have cared. Well, but it's it, interesting that you say oh. that. Okay. Because, so I mean, it makes me think of, like, it makes me think of, of why a lot of serial killers target marginalized groups. Yeah. Because nobody really cares, or at least it takes a really long time for authorities to start paying attention. And don't you notice that when, and this is a general statement, when ser- when serial killers have those marginalized people, sometimes they feel like they're not doing enough, and now they need to go after someone who someone will notice. It's, I mean, they escalate. They yes. will escalate, yes. So, in classic serial killer fashion, mm. things escalated. Mm. So in 1609, our friend Anna Darvolia kicks the can. She suffers a fatal stroke. She is no longer. Elizabeth is bummed, but she's also like, you know what? I need to accelerate everything. These servants aren't doing it for me anymore. I need, I need nobility. Mm -hmm. So she opens a quote, Academy of Etiquette for young noble girls. Bear with me on this name called Gynecaeum, which is a Latin word for women's residence. And this was under the guise that she would help them become respectable young women, but really she was just upping her murder game and bringing in funding. So it was now that noble girls girls are going missing, they don't come home after assisting the countess. Mm. Now she's in the spotlight, and people actually started believing the rumors that had been spreading previously because look who's being affected now. She's now getting sloppy. People were questioning whether... Their daughters were alive. Were they dead? Where did they go? Mm -hmm. And her maids were actually appearing in public, having been brutally beaten. One girl even showed up in public with a knife in her foot that she had done to her. And, like, she let her go out in public like that. She Mm. wasn't caring as much. The punishments were even the most severe. Some said that some of the women, and this is a trigger warning, um, Some of the women were said to have had portions of their own buttocks cut off, cooked, and served to themselves for dinner, which is wild. I didn't think we were going to get to cannibalism again in this episode, but I guess we did. Um, Forced cannibalism, I guess. So within weeks, though, the whole school was wiped out. She went through all the girls, and her excuse was that one of the girls murdered all the others because of her greed for their jewelry. (laughs) Sure. So this was the last straw. When the king heard about this, he finally criminally convicted Elizabeth and her servants. So four of her servants, th- that execution gang I was talking about earlier, they were arrested and charged with torture and murder. And Elizabeth was under house arrest awaiting her own trial and fate. Mm. So in September 1610, she wrote her last will and testament, leaving everything to her three kids. Mm-hmm. And at this time, this is actually a really smart thing for her to do because had she not done that, the crown could claim all of her assets if she were to be executed and didn't have a will. So it was really smart of her to do that. Now, the same year, Georgie Thurzo, we talked about him earlier, Elizabeth's family friend, he was involved in negotiations to restore the office of Palatine in Hungary Hmm. and ultimately became 
Palatine, which if you don't know what that is, it's basically like the prime minister of Hungary. So it's next down from the crown. And that's the person that works with the crown and everything politically driven, military driven, any kind of decision that's made in the country goes by him first. And he would also be in charge of Elizabeth's trial and would be the, ultimately the man to determine whether Elizabeth would live or die. So this put him in a bit of a tight spot. He had committed to Ferenc that he would take care of Elizabeth and their family, but now he's the one approaching their home to formally charge her in torture and murder. So at this time, Elizabeth's daughters were already married, and their husbands had partnered with Thurzo to try to negotiate a way to keep their names and inheritances from Elizabeth in good standing, because if they were in bad standing, they wouldn't inherit anything. So on December 29th, 1610, Thurzo, Elizabeth's two son-in-laws, and her son's tutor came to her home and fully arrested her. Oh, that's cold. That's cold. Isn't that cold? The, the people that arrested her were like her family, ultimately. That's super cold. So fun fact about the trial. I know you'll like this. I had to tell this to you more than anybody. The original trial transcripts were actually found over 200 years later in an attic. What? And published in 1817. I love that. I, lo- I love stuff like that. That's why I know you, do. you should go through your attics, folks, and <laughs> make sure you don't have trial transcripts from a mass murderer. And if you do publish them, yeah, you know. Or just give them uh, to me. Send them to me. Send them to Kim. Send them to Kim. Kim, will, Kim will publish it Kim will you. publish it. Kim will read it. Kim will write a book or make an episode. We'll do an episode on it. We'll do yeah, an episode. Hey. Hey. So actually, there's two copies of it now. One is preserved in Thurs- in a Thurso archive in Bitka, and one is at the National Archive in Budapest, if you ever want to go. I do want to go to Budapest. All right. We'll put that on our list of things okay, to do there. let's do that. No, I, I really, I like Budapest. It looks, it looks really cool. It does. And we can look at the, the trial transcripts. So October 1610, much of the trial were servants and locals talking about what they had heard. There were 34 witnesses that were questioned, many of them being servants who never even went on the countess's land. Literally everything that they talked about was what they heard from someone. There was nothing conclusive that could come from any of these people. That's shenanigans. It's totally shenanigans. And that's the fact that they gave this many people the ability to even like talk was pretty wild. Mm. Now, one of the first witnesses was named Benedict Bisserdy. He was the warden of Sarvar, and he was in charge of the estate security. He claimed that he knew of at least 175 girls and women who had died, but didn't know how they died. He wasn't allowed inside. He only monitored who came and went and never went in. But he always heard screams coming from the inside and knew that Elizabeth was inside with these people, and she would be in there for up to six consecutive hours during the time of the screams with these people. There was also Balthazar Poby. He was another man who served as the Sarvar Castellan, uh-huh. and he testified that over 200, possibly 300 victims had died from the aftermath of the torture. So now you're getting these numbers. Now, other servants said, quote, burials and funerals took place at an alarming rate. The dead were almost always young servant girls. Access was forbidden to certain parts of the estate under heavy guard. And although no one actually saw much of anything, all had heard tales that these girls died from torture. That just goes back to say that it's tales, that you don't even have any evidence. So this guy's actual (laughs) statement debunked his own statement, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, Of the 306 depositions gathered during the proceedings, 
only eight people had access to Elizabeth's private torture sessions. Uh. So these people were her primary accomplices, that execution gang, a lady-in-waiting, a steward, and a man that was the court master, Benedict DeSeo. He was one of 11 men who witnessed Elizabeth sign her will in, in 1610 uh-huh. and allegedly knew the most out of anyone as he was her longest-running servant. He actually was the only person to confront Elizabeth. He actually begged her to stop for fear that she'd be arrested. He huh. like, cared about her. But her response, she literally told him that she was above the law, which did prove to be true for a while. But I'm uh, above not, the law. Not until now. You're in court now, ma'am. Um, I'm above the law. You are level with the law. You are here. Welcome to the law. So the only evidence they were able to gather was from, ironically, torturing the torturers. <laughs> yeah, so, that, which is historically, that always gets the most fact-based responses from people. Isn't that funny and ironic? Not really funny, but it's ironic that, like, the way that they got the truth out of the torturers was by torturing them. So that execution gang all were fully tortured until they started to admit things. And they admit, all admitted to torturing and killing hundreds of girls after initially blaming Anna Darvolia, because she's dead. Let's blame on, let's put all the blame on her. Uh, and then they eventually implicated Elizabeth directly, saying that she actually told them to do the torturing or she would do it herself. So to the public, Elizabeth seemed like a well-spoken, level-headed woman and maintained that any wrongdoing was the sole activity of her servants. But at the same time, there was a laundry list of both nobles and commoners who were incriminated during the trial for the procurement of girls to Elizabeth. So there's multiple people that are now involved. So let's talk numbers. How many girls were actually killed? A key piece of evidence was a detailed record of deceased girls made by an elderly pastor at Sichte due to the countess's frequent requests for burials which ended up in the hands of the king and Thurzo. Uh. So they actually had this list. And every night she buried no less than nine virgins, all who died of the same, quote, unknown and mysterious causes. So that was a, a pure piece of evidence, but it still didn't necessarily say that Elizabeth was the one who killed them. So that was still up in the air. Four servants in the execution gang, all testified as to how approximately how many girls had been killed. The number was different for all of them. Fisco said 37. Alana Joe said 51, maybe more. Dorca said 36. And Catalin said 50. So who are you going to believe? <laughs> Everyone gives a different number. Everyone gives a different number. <laughs> and the rest of the staff at the castle is claiming 175 to 200 girls. And then, like, this crazy thing happens. At the end of the trial, a young servant girl named Susanna was called to testify. She claims that 650 girls were killed. 650! And bases it on the fact that the Countess took note of every single person she killed in like a diary type situation and that one of the stewards saw it and told Susanna about it. Now, he said, she said situation is pretty Mm -hmm. out of line at this point. So... Mm The authorities basically debunked this whole situation and never even called the steward to testify. So this was never even counted as evidence. So debunked. But yet this is, I mean, as you said, with like the Guinness Book of World Records, this is what's looked at. Yes. You would think that the Guinness Book of World Records is like a reputable. Would you? (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. Probably not. But no, I mean, but this kind of thing drives me. I mean, you know how crazy this drives me because. 
the the evidence exists if you look for it and it's laziness. It's lazy. People don't be lazy. I can't wait to tell you this next part. God. Okay. So I'm good. Ultimately, good. let's bring it, bring it, bring it, bring kay. it, Gabby. Ultimately, four servants were found guilty. So that the little gang of executioners. Sure. The women all had their fingers ripped off and yeah. then uh, yeah, ripped off, not cut off, ripped off. Ripped. Two of them passed out during the process. I mean, and then, sure, yeah, uh, I would. Understandably. <laughs> and then they were burned on a pyre. Fisco Yeesh. was decapitated. His head and body were thrown onto the same pyre as the women. Great. And though the king wanted to sentence Elizabeth to similar punishment, Thurzo mm. was trying to protect her. He actually originally wanted to send her to a convent, but then, like, all the shit came out about all the murders, and he was sure. like, ooh, you really can't send her to a convent. <laughs> can't can't do that. <laughs> no. And the king wasn't having it. He's like, are you joking? No, kill her. And so then he was basically trying to protect the families that were from her and that he originally said that he would protect. So if he can't protect her, at least he can protect the people from her and from his old friend. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately what he did was he sentenced... Elizabeth to life imprisonment in her home, in the same home where so many young women's lives were taken. And uh. Elizabeth's pissed off at Thurzo, though. She's even though he's like helping her, she's pissed off at him. And they ultimately have one last showdown where Thurzo says, "Quote: You, Elizabeth, are like a wild animal. You are in the last months of your life. You do not deserve to breathe the air on earth or see the light of the Lord. You shall disappear from this world and shall never reappear in it again. As the shadows envelop you, you may find time to repent your bestial life. I hereby condemn you, Lady of Siste, to lifelong imprisonment in your own castle." Damn. Damn. Mic drop. Damn. Mic drop. She then was walled in to her tower, only with a single space to pass food, supplies, and excrement. She'd receive visitors God, from time to time. If you're oh. the servant that has to take her poop. Oh, poop servant. Poop servant. <laughs> yeah, no, it's pretty brutal. I mean, even though you're, like, locked in your own home, you're not really, like, free to roam about. That's, that's you're, not like, the fun kind of house arrest. That's not no. what Martha Stewart was doing. Definitely not what Martha Stewart was doing. She was actually able to write letters, though, and protested her innocence as she would, but no one responded to her. And the reason why was because at this point in time, Hungary actually declared her legally dead. Uh, And no one talked about her anymore. Like, it was like uh, an embarrassment to mention her name. And so, like, she would write to people but would not receive letters until she eventually ran out of paper and parchment and all her writing stuff that she started writing just on the walls. And on August 21st, 1614, she complained of poor circulation and ended up dying a little after midnight that night. Now, according to the Chronicle of Castle Siste, Elizabeth was buried in the church there, but Uh locals demanded to remove her from the Holy Land because of everything she had done. And her remains were supposedly taken back to the Bathory family home in 1617, but nothing has ever been verified as to where her body lies. So that is still a mystery to this day. Oh, wow. But I don't know if you noticed that I did not mention anything about bathing in blood this entire time. That is one of the, like, quintessential Elizabeth Bathory. I mean, my God, Gabby, Hostel 2 put it in their movie as inspiration from Elizabeth Bathory. Hostel 2, the cinematic masterpiece that is. 
I haven't seen it because I don't want to see it. <laughs> you know, I liked, it's funny. Um, I actually liked Hostel 2, I think, more than I liked Hostel 1. Really? Yeah. I haven't seen either. I won't see either. So you can talk all about that and tell me about it, but I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> I'm just going to say there might be there might be some penis chopping. Woohoo! All yep. right. So there you go. What a time. You're welcome. But the ultimate question: Did Elizabeth actually bathe in the blood of her tortured servants? Did she drink their blood, hoping to restore youthfulness and vitality to her appearance? I need to know this because if it worked, then. I mean, so I mean, it's interesting you say that because mm-hmm. one of the legends says that when she beat one of her servants, their blood accidentally splattered on her face and she immediately well, yeah, noticed, happen. right? And uh, she immediately noticed, which I think is funny. Like, why would you look at your face after getting splattered by blood? If you just like hit someone, wouldn't you just make sure that they're okay or like clean up a mess? I don't know. She looked in the mirror and she noticed that her uh, skin was more youthful looking. It yeah, had a more youthful. That's not how that works. It. That's that's no. This that's is, not. That's not how that works. Legend. Okay. Legend. That's, and referred I mean, to. The, <laughs> I have notes. I'm sorry. No, that's I'm fine. sorry. I'm sorry. We're gonna keep, go through the notes in a minute. Keep going. So, she referred to the properties of the blood as quote skin cream. Now let's talk science for a second. <sighs> Kim, have you heard of the vampire facial? Yeah. I wish so, I hadn't. It's a real thing, guys. It is. Uh, it is. It actually uses your own blood to help promote the healthy activity of your skin cells because sure. your blood contains platelet-rich plasma, which apparently contains high level of growth factors, which when applied to the skin will stimulate cell turnover. So technically, if Elizabeth was putting blood on her face, <laughs> she potentially could have been onto something. But it's, it's not immediate, though. I mean, like no. the whole idea that like some blood splattered and instantly her skin like de-aged itself. Like, girl, no, that's not how skincare not even how works. Anything works. <laughs> it's not how it works. No, it isn't. No. But. You know, Elizabeth was known for her remarkable beauty. Yes, that's true. She had an obsession with her age and appearance, and she would stand in front of mirrors for hours, Mm. then later smashing mirrors around the house. I mean, this kind of sounds like the evil queen of Snow White. Am I right? I mean, Uh it fully sounds like that to me. Now, according to the legend, the bloodbaths worked well initially, but over time she continued to age, and apparently peasant servant blood just wasn't doing it for her anymore, and that's why she wanted nobility blood, because apparently if you're a noble, your blood is better, it'll make you look younger, longer, what have you. A better remedy, apparently, quote-unquote. But, big butt. I like big butts, and I cannot cannot lie. lie. Um, It is interesting that even when her servants were tortured... For confessions, not one of them mentioned anything about anyone bathing in blood. There was no mention of it in any of her trials whatsoever. So, Scully time, Mm -hmm. the blood bathing story didn't even come until 200 years after Elizabeth's death. How wild is that? Wow. So, let's evaluate. 1700s were a time Uh of vampire mania, right? That was like a big thing in the 1700s. In 1720, a Jesuit priest named Laszlo Turowski discovered a sealed trial document. Now, this is where things start to get fishy. So Mm -hmm. he sees a sealed trial document, and he's like, oh, I'm going to write a book about it. Sure. uses portions of it. But guess what else he does? He goes to the locals in the village surrounding the castle and asks them for opinions. 
Terrible idea. You're going to take opinions from people and then actual evidence and put them all together in one book. You think that that's going to be something that people are going to think are credible because you're talking about sealed trial documents. And maybe that's what your advertising is where you got this information from. And now people who read this book are going to think that everything you're talking about is true. And he's the one who starts talking about bloodbath because of what the locals are telling him, not because of what was in the trial documents. And so the game of telephone begins. Then you get a credible academic named Matej Bell. He uses the blood countess story in his encyclopedia on Hungarian history and geography. Of course, if you have an encyclopedia on Hungarian history and geography from a credible academic, you're also going to believe that. So from that point on, nobody questioned the story. So it it's wild that that's where that story was birthed from the mouths of the villagers that the first dude talked to. Uh, so... Oh, that Scully moment really gave me a, a run for my money. Um, this is this this pun is for you. Oh, bloodbath and beyond. I love bloodbath and beyond. That's my new favorite thing in the world. Are you not entertained? I'm so entertained. But you know what's wild is that now every book that was ever published about Elizabeth Bathory, except the one that I read. Is all about a bloodbath. A bloodbath. Every single one you read is about a bloodbath. And so I was so stoked to find the birth of the bloodbath story being 200 years after when the trial actually happened. That is pretty awesome. Isn't that wild? So now we have scullied the bloodbath. It never happened. Sorry to ruin your uh, (laughs) bloodbath countess situation. Um, And although she did definitely draw a lot of blood, the trial testimony states that She never even cared about using the blood. There wasn't even enough to fill a bathtub. You actually, cubic volume of an ordinary tub would require at least 30 victims to fill a bathtub. And she never had more than nine at a time. And that blood's going to get cold. Exactly. And it's going to clot and like do weird shit. Oh, it's going to get all clumpy and gross. Yeah. So like the the logistics of it. I mean, the logistics don't make sense. And so when you think about it from like an actual you know, fact-based perspective, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. Now, as for vampire legend, yeah, she totally bit her victims, Mm -hmm. but only when she was too weak to get out of bed because then her servants would bring the victim to her in her bed. So her way of torturing them was literally just biting them. But she wasn't drinking their blood. She just bit them just to torture them. So my my cat does something similar when I don't want to get out of bed. (laughs) Just saying. So obviously overall, she was a troubled woman, wealthy, educated, but had a really fucked up coping mechanism for stress. And I think that's overall the story that is Elizabeth Bathory. And, you know, graphologists have analyzed her handwriting and claimed that she actually was not schizophrenic or mad, contrary to many biographical accounts on her, but rather that she had, quote, a strong, determined, and self-confident personality with a logical mind and manly character. So... From the great science that is analyzing handwriting. I mean, I guess it is a great science. But she truly (laughs) sounds like a lot of other serial killers. We mentioned it before. Sure. Um, Like an addiction, the desire for power or the murderous rage that explodes simply cannot be helped or stopped no matter the consequence. What is it about serial killers, man? Uh, I mean, there's a fascination that people still to this day that we have with um, serial killers. And she was probably one of the first well-documented ones. 
and has inspired so much in literature, in popular culture. Like you mentioned a movie recently. Mm -hmm. I actually, um, and I also mentioned that she sounded like the evil queen in Snow White. The Snow White and the Huntsman movie solely based the evil queen on Bathory. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun fact. Yeah, Um, I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. And there was a 1970s movie based on her called Countess Dracula. My personal favorite is that there is a Swedish black metal band named Bathory, and they have a song called Woman of Dark Desires, um, (laughs) which is a good time. There's a Buffy the Vampire book that features a character about her. There's, I mean, American Horror Story Hotel features Lady Gaga's character, the Countess, is Uh inspired by Elizabeth Bathory. Daughters of Darkness, too. Yes, there's so Uh many. Like, we could talk about it literally all day. Um, Lore did a really wonderful episode on it. I will tell you, it is very exaggerated and does not have full facts based on the book that I read. But for shits and giggles, the reason that I even wanted to cover this was that back in, I think, three years ago. I'm like, I don't know what year that was, 2018? It all blends together. Yes. My fiancé and I went to Vancouver for our anniversary, and we went to a bar that had a VHS player and a VHS tape that um, literally was titled Propaganda Video Zine Volume 2 Blood Countess. And I was like, (laughs) what the hell is this shit? Let's put it on. And the bartender fully put it on for us. And it's from 1992... And it's like shitty 90s metal grunge um, music videos and reenactments of Elizabeth Bathory. And that's what really got my mind going about Elizabeth Bathory to the point that I looked up another movie called Bathory Countess of Blood. And it's literally like a mix of a Bjork music video with a Monty Python movie with some historical references, but it's totally like overwrought and dramatized, but it was a wild time. So I watched that this week too. And I feel like that should have gone into my creepy <laughs> critics corner, but oh my God, there is so much content on Elizabeth Bathory, but I hope that maybe we cleared up some things for y'all with her because she was a interesting character. She wasn't that. No. And and it's funny because I, you know, I, I feel like anyone who, who is into the, the morbid is familiar at least with the basics of her story. Totally. But I, I do appreciate, I mean, you know, I appreciate a good scully. So the amount of things that were pure and utter BS, just like, okay. <laughs> totally. I mean, she, <laughs> she definitely killed people. She sure. definitely tortured people. Mm-hmm. That's not questioned at all. That's fucked up. She's still a serial killer. Totally a real thing. Bathed in blood? Not so much. Um, so I still question the vampire facial. I'm just going to say that now. <laughs> but having said that, that brings us to... Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Kim. Yeah. What you watching? Uh, so I've been, I, I've actually been uh, uh, going through a fair bit of media lately. Some of it was revisiting some some stuff and some of it was new. I did finally watch Freaky. Oh. I've been wanting to watch that for a while. Since it came out, I was kind of bummed that when it, it was released initially last year, it was released in, in movie theaters. And it was when here movie theaters were closed. Uh, and for, for those of you who are unfamiliar, it is a um, slasher comedy. It's uh, Vince Vaughn 
is in it, and basically he plays a, uh, a serial killer, but kind of a serial killer, like, out of a slasher film kind of vibe you get from him and yeah. he um accidentally is is switches bodies with uh a teenage girl who was going to be a victim and you know it kind of a freaky friday moment so they switch bodies um you know it's it's fun it's it's silly uh Vince Vaughn is surprisingly good question mark <laughs> no it's i mean i'm not used to Saying that about Vince Vaughn. Yeah, I can't say I'm a huge Vince Vaughn fan. Um, not I mean, not it's 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 not everything is is dead on. <laughs> dead on. Pun intended. Eight. Pun intended. But it's it's you know, it's it's a really good time. It's fun, it's silly. If you need something kind of lighthearted, but still has a, a touch of gore and and some of the gross, like it's 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 a good time. It's not you don't go into it expecting great depth, but it's it's fun. I've been rewatching the Godzilla, the most recent Godzilla movies, uh, Godzilla and Godzilla King of the Monsters in preparation for Godzilla versus Kong, hashtag Team Godzilla. Uh, so I'm very excited because I'm going to see that on Friday. I'm currently, I love this, I'm currently the only person in the movie theater and I kind of hope it stays that way. I mean, that's amazing. And also you got vaccinated today. I'm so I got my second you. vaccine shot today. Yes. And and I, I will hopefully be feeling well enough by Friday to, to venture to the movies. But I'm seeing an afternoon showing and it's an empty theater currently. So I'm like, I can. This is this is good. you'll be this fine. Is fine. You'll be great. Um, the one that I'd say I actually like recommend if you're looking for uh, something you might not have seen. And it, it kind of plays into, I feel like, some of the things we talk about on this on this podcast. There is a movie called Ravenous. Oh. It's from 1999. It is one of the rare breeds of Western horror films. Hmm. Western horror is uh, a little bit of a, it's hard to come by. There's, they exist, but it, it is not a subgenre of horror that has an abundance of films. And, and I'd say particularly an abundance of good films. But I, I, I rewatched this recently. I have, I have watched it before. Um, but part of why I rewatched it was in celebration of female directors, female horror directors. Cool. And it was directed by a woman. Nice. And it's Robert Carlyle, too, is in it. And I, I freaking love Robert Carlyle. David Arquette is in it. Guy Pierce. It's a, it's a good cast. Nice. But it's this, it, it's about cannibalism, essentially. Oh, bringing it back to cannibalism. Bringing it back to cannibalism. Because, you know, we can never fully let a, uh, the, the cannibalism go. The year um, of the cannibal 2021. Cannibalism and and Wendigos. And I have to say and and maybe we should talk about Wendigos on an episode cuz I freaking love Wendigos. Um I think the history is really interesting, the mythology behind it is really really fascinating. Uh but it 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 revolves around the Donner Party. <laughs> oh wow. As well. And it's it's got I mean like it's it's it, it, really like black comedy or satire, but it's unexpected. You're not expecting that when you're watching it because the, they hit such a great tone. And, and I forget, I, it's been a couple years since I'd rewatched it and, and I rewatched it, uh, as part of, you know, women in horror recently. And, um, 
it's it is it is one of those kind of rare gems that you may not have heard of, you may not have seen, but it's worth a watch and it's worth your time. Nice. I'll have to watch it. Yeah. I'm ex- actually excited to watch some of the things that you've recommended because I've been so like swarmed with things that I need to watch on my end that I have a list ongoing of your recommendations. So nice. I'll add that to the list. Sweet. What you been watching? Oh, well, I watched that really shitty Bjork version of the Bathory movie I talked about uh, earlier. Yeah. Um, it, I fully put it on with the intention of like, is it going to be historically correct or not? And it's definitely not. Um, right. And the wig is the best part. She has a wig that's massive. And it literally, I didn't realize that she was wearing it as a wig until she took it off in the middle of the movie. Um, And I thought it was even funnier. It like added comic relief in that moment. Um, But I don't think it was intended as comic relief. But it's one of those movies that's very funny because of how weird and stupid it is. Um, So if you like a movie like that, watch that. I also, I know I've talked at nauseum about Outlander in the past. Um, But there is a show called Men in Kilts. And oh, it is a good time. It is basically two of the main actors from Outlander. uh, Sam, who plays the main character. And I forgot the other guy's name, but he plays Dougal. And uh, they go on a road trip through Scotland and they talk about different Scottish traditions. And all different kinds of things about Scotland. It's really interesting. Um, I feel like if you like our podcast, you would like this because it's like informative, but fun. And they're very funny together and basically just troll each other the entire time. And they have an episode that's actually about like ghosts and hauntings. And they go to some of the more famous cemeteries in Scotland, which is really cool. And they lock the guys inside like a dungeon and it's very funny. So yeah, that was, I think, a good time. And then also, I'm just going to recommend this book to everybody because I didn't even share half of it. So if you thought this was a lengthy uh, episode, there was a lot I left out. Um, It is called, again, Infamous Lady, The True Story of Countess Erzbet Bathory, second edition by Kimberly L. Craft. Um, craft of the sea so you can find it i actually read it on my kindle you can read it however you like uh, whatever works for you but i know kim you need to read that you're gonna love this book so much Uh, yeah i was gonna say this i'm i'm stoked yeah well thank you so much for listening check us out on our social medias we have our instagram which is ghoulish tendencies podcast we have our facebook page which is ghoulish tendencies podcast we have our website It is ghoulishtendencies.com. All of our social needs are on there. All of our episodes are on there. All of our show notes, references, if you're ever curious about where we get our information from, on there. We also have Patreon, which is amazing, and we love all of our patrons. Thank you so much for contributing. It is Ghoulish Tendencies. We provide extra content on there. Um, Kim and I were actually in the talks of doing some new fun things for Patreon Uh to come this year. Um, We also have a twitter account it is ghoulish podcast and if you like our podcast and you can't contribute through patreon what will help us so much is going over to apple podcasts and leaving us a review and a rating would be lovely we're currently sitting at five stars super stoked thank you so much to those of you who have rated and reviewed but that helps others find us and it helps us find others so please help us help you help us and having said that thank you for listening Day.